Hi, everyone. Today is September 4th, 2014. Welcome to Neuroscientist Talk Shop, UTSA's neurobiology podcast. Um, our guest today is Arturo Andrade. He is a fellow in the lab of Diane Lipscomb at Brown University. Uh, hi, Arturo. Hi. And so he is combining molecular biology, behavior, and synaptic physiology to understand how ion channels functionally impact the neuronal circuits related to pain and anxiety. That's right. Great. That sounds about right. Okay, around the room we've got Charlie Wilson. Hello. We've got Fidel Santabria. Hello. You look so tired. Yeah, First uh, <laughs> podcast of the yeah. term, we're all a little <laughs> groggy. And we've got Todd Troyer. Good afternoon. And me, I'm your host, Salma Karashi. So, um, so, I, so in looking at, at your work, it seems to me that it's about getting at, and correct me if I'm wrong, getting at the subcellular specific mechanisms that, um, that align channel activity with specific behaviors. Yeah, that, that's definitely correct. Okay. Uh, I think we are trying to, um, we are working with this idea that these variations of the calcium channels, specifically the CV2.2 neuronal type calcium channel, is optimizing specific functions of, of the cell. Okay. okay. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, because some of these small variations don't have... Oh, sorry. Because some, some, of, some of these variations don't have a, a lack or full response. They have subtle... They modify subtle functions. So that's what we think. The, the cell, instead of creating a, a, a protein for that... Or, or, or instead of creating a gene for that... To, for to those subtle changes in a specific function, it's actually creating uh, a plastic gene <laughs> that somehow is going that efficiently is going to is going to be modified according to that subtle differences in function. Okay, but before so yeah. <laughs> it's very cool, and I want to get to that because because you've been able to track like single amino acid mutations in channels and follow its potential impact on a behavior like responses to pain and to anxiety like behaviors. But before we talk about that, I thought. Um, I want to talk kind of generally about these CAV channels because uh, they're very cool in their diversity and they're, you know, they're everywhere, uh, and in the fact that they're, you know, they convert neuronal activity into a huge variety of um, calcium-mediated subcellular responses. So it's been a while since we talked channels here in the podcast. So could you kind of introduce us to the CAV family, the cal- the voltage-gated calcium channel, yeah, of, family, of, and give us some specialist perspective on why yeah. they're particularly why they're so interesting in the CNS? Uh, of course. Uh, well, calcium channels, uh, as the name implies, it's a protein that has a pore, and this this uh, this pore is moved by its uh, sorry the ability of these channels to conduct current comes from the voltage. It means that the voltage is going to open them up or it's going to modulate their activity. Uh, yeah, the reason why we are focused in the lab on, uh, on understanding particularly the CV2.2, there are like 10 different genes of, of calcium channels, but uh, the one that I'm interested in is the one that encodes for CV2.2. So they like CV1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10? <laughs> it's from 1 to 4, 1. 1. 1, 1.1, 1. 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, uh, the 2.1, 2.2, and 2.3, and 3.3, 3.2, and 
So there are three classes. There are three classes. Uh, the, the, the ones that I'm looking at belong to the, fa- or the family of presynaptic calcium channels because they are So mostly. these are called n-type calcium channels, right? Yeah. They Which are they are definitely not all presynaptic. They are not presynaptic. I know. <laughs> I'm aware of that. <laughs> but, the, the, but anyways, but they, they, they were found in originally neurons, and that's why they call them n-type. Oh, is that why they're called N-type? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I've never known why they're called yeah. N-type. Yeah. Do you know why L-type are yeah. called L-type? Because they last long, oh, really? long-lasting <laughs> channels, yeah. And then T? The T because they are... Um, tiny. Tiny. <laughs> they are, I'm actually recording single channels from T-type channels. And they're really and they're, supposed to the P. Yeah. Uh, they are the large P. Yeah. Uh, so and also what is that? So how does the P... Uh, and R type calcium channels fit into the CAV one two three. <laughs> the the P uh, or PQ are they they were the those currents were originally recorded in Purkinje cells and uh, they uh, that's why they call them. So what's P. the right what's the right name for them? Like if it's okay. CAV. <laughs> that's uh, so the the right name. If you're talking about the current, then I th- the most proper way to call it is N PQ or R. Okay, so when we're measuring currents, we call them that. Uh, yeah, and when you're talking about the gene, then it's Cagna 1A, 1B, 1, or 1C, 1D, 1F, all the way to I. <laughs> but if you're talking about the, um, the, the, the protein, I mean, again, they, this has evolved, but it's CV, the, the modern one is CAB 2.2, CAB 2.3, CAB 2.1, or CAB, CAB something. <laughs> so which ones are PQ? The PQ or CV 2.1. Ah, mm-hmm. and, and, then, and then R. The R. R is like, is that a well-defined channel? It's supposed because R just stands for resistant, right? Yeah, it isn't blocked by any of it, It's supposed to is there are so far actually there is now a drug that is supposed to be more specific for CV two point three, which is the R channel. Uh-huh. So we really but shouldn't call it R anymore because not it really. <laughs> Cagna 1E is the gene, or CV 2.3. I think that's more proper. So actually, if you count them all up, there's not that many. Calcium, voltage-dependent calcium channels are not the channels that have the most different genes for them. And in fact, that's a a good thing from an experimental point of view. It means that we have an easier time trying to figure out which one is responsible for some calcium current that we're looking at. So why are, are you studying the ver- the variation of the thing that is that doesn't vary all that much? <laughs> well, is that uh, a bad yeah, question no, that's to ask? A, is that I mean, I mean, I have another question later. <laughs> <laughs> is it, well, I'm interested in CV two point two in particular because it's it's for sure that it's dominant and necessary for pain transmission. The knockouts have lower thresholds to pain. And uh, they're also crazy. <laughs> so they, that, invo- that implies an involvement of this channel in the CNS. Now, in terms of the variation, you're right, there are 10 genes, but they are heavily spliced. And we've been discovering that each isoform has ser- serves for different functions. So the, vari- the variation comes in the amount of splicing that they are subjected. Remind us about splicing. Yeah. So... <laughs> Splicing is a, a, it's, it has to do with the processing of pre-mRNA. The, 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 the pre-mRNA of a given gene is divided into intron and exons. 
that the exons are the ones that are going to be incorporated into the final, into the mature or final mRNA. And each exon, imagine, like it's a module, it's a, it's a sequence divided by modules. And alternative splicing, what it's going to do is going to determine what of those modules are going to be assembled in the final mRNA. And we've been discovering that this uh, final assembly of mRNA is going to give pro a, a different protein or different channel, and this channel is going to have different impacts in the cells. So for CAV 2.2, sorry, to lead the witness, <laughs> how, many, how many different splice variants do you know of for CAV 2.2? We know uh, in the lab that we have looked at around 14 different variants so far. Wow. But we think... Yeah, there, there are. <laughs> we we know for sure about are uh, about five sites of splicing, uh, but the combination of fish is just ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's really really big. So at the end of the day, we're trying to understand. Some actually, we're trying to understand uh, what are these. Uh, if there are more isoforms of these, but there there can be plenty. So these different isoforms have different voltage sensitivities. Yes. And then they have different like maximal currents. So uh, some of them do. Some of them do. The ones that I've been studying, uh, the splicing involves sequences in the C terminus or in the in the two to three linker of the channels. Uh, this this part of the channel faces intracellular side. And we have been working with the idea that these modules actually couple the channel to specific signaling path pathways. This is what is happening with one of the ones that I talked today, uh, the 37A and 37B. We think that the 37A is coupling the channel to a, to a pathway that is sensitive to sarcinus. So even the occurrence of splicing is determined by stuff that's happening in the cell at the time yeah. that the protein's being synthesized, right? And so that means that if you take the gene and you put it into an expression system, you you may not get the, the actual channel that you're interested in. That is unless that expression system is doing the splicing the same way. Exactly. So it means you kind of have to work in that. In the native the one. In the native one. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and the distribution, right? Because you can have, I mean, the, especially neurons that are polar, right? You can have all the splice variants mm -hmm. uh, produced. You can have the mRNAs, but they can be positioned in different parts of the, of the cell. And, I mean, as you were talking about, as you said, this could be presynaptic, right? But other, if you, if you try to do the uh, uh, expression of the MR, of, of, of DNA, right? Mm -hmm. The, or, or mRNAs in general, they, they, you will see them everywhere. Right? Yeah. So is there a problem patching the dorsal ganglion cell when you're really interested in the, 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 the version of the intact calcium channel that's on its I, I wouldn't call it a cord? problem. I would call it an interesting challenge, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that's definitely a Windows user. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All the yeah. bugs are a feature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, I think it definitely. Is. Uh, I think uh, the easiest approach, the easiest approach to start studying this problem is to look at the cell bodies of the cell of the of the nociceptive neurons, because they are just easy to to work on. So you can start there. But then, sorry. Okay. But we are actually now in the lab working with the actual synapse, and we are now slicing the spinal cord and recording from the synaptic target of these neurons and stimulating the dorsal roots. But yeah, that's 
the second phase because it's not that straightforward. So do, how do we, do we know what factors determine the composition of a particular pool of CAVs? Like what are the, what determines which splicing factor? Yeah. So that's an interesting question because, question because Diane just got another one to track what it is a splicing factor that is determining. Yeah. differently in development and you can yeah. kind of imagine that all these different mm-hmm. isoforms are orchestrated mm-hmm. to sort of maybe even direct yeah, some of definitely. it. Yeah, the, definitely. Um, the proteins, I mean, it's obviously a multi-factor event, and it's a very complex one. But uh, the, the, the initial part involves the binding of uh, splicing factors to the mRNA or the DNA. Sometimes the DNA can also determine the pattern of splicing. And for some of the splicing events that we've looked at, we know the splicing factor from some others, we, are, we have some ideas. But it has to do with the splicing factors, and the splicing factors are actually cell-specific. There are some splicing factors that are expressed in the peripheral nervous system and that are not in the brain. Nova, Nova 2 is a case of that. And that, that, that Nova splicing factor, we know that with the splicing of, uh, of CD2.2. But it, it's actually a very interesting one because it modulates the one splicing event on, on one direction and the other in, in another splicing event in the same gene in, this, in the opposite direction. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty... Very fascinating factor, that one. So is there is there some? So this is flipping Charlie's comment on mm-hmm. its head, right? Oh, there's only ten of them, but there's a gazillion splice variants, yeah. right? <laughs> so is there is there a, a a reason to have different strategies for different kinds of cells to have different isoforms and regulate the expression levels of those versus different splice variants? We, I mean, you can, it seems like you can regulate the properties of various channels and the balance of different currents in, say, these two mm-hmm. kinds of ways. Uh, are they different? Um, yes. Uh, I mean, we think that basically, yes, um, they, are, they are different. We actually think that uh, all these complex array of, uh, of, uh, of isoform expression it has been helping for uh, evolutionary adaptation and for example in, in this specific case I just trying to adventure myself on saying that uh, the, uh, if this isoform the A that is created that is anxiogenic, it somehow if it's eliminated from the mouse it's gonna make the mouse more relaxed and then more prone to be trapped by a predator, for example, <laughs> it's just it's the way. But sort of thinking at it, I think maybe Todd was thinking at sort of at the cellular level. I'm certainly thinking about it at the cellular level. Mm-hmm. So if we imagine the parameter space of all these things, could we say that isoforms are responsible for some part of the variation between molecules and splice variants for a different kind that lies on a different parameter? So like maybe. I'm just having to make things up. Okay. But maybe uh, the splice variants determine targeting where in the cell the, the, the channel gets yeah. moved, and the others determine the functional properties like voltage sensitivity. Yeah. yeah. Is there some kind of organization to the, to the parameter space like that, or does everything affect everything? Okay, for calcium channels, I don't think that we have been able to study that yet. Uh, we are still finding new isoforms and trying to understand what they do, especially because the the classic approach has been you know clone the channel, clone the isoform, put an expression system, and see what it does. 
but models where there is just exclusive expression of one isomer or the other don't really exist and we are coming out with some. Um, however, the... Um, Oh my god! I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> so, uh, what 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 you were saying? But I know that for potassium channels, people have done this kind of work a lot more than we in calcium channel Why? field, because they are shorter genes and uh, they the splicing is relatively less less complex because they have a, a more limited number of permutations. And uh, so, and and pro, and again, see in potassium channels are a lot easier to study in the sense at the molecular and cellular level and calcium channels, which is are dealing with a more complex molecule per se. So and so thanks to that, I mean, potassium channel research has been evolved more to understand those kind of differences. So what's the lesson from potassium channels? Say it again? What's the lesson that we gain from looking at the potassium channels? Uh, that at least we know the splicing is conserved <laughs> between the... It, it, I mean, uh, sometimes I look at the... Uh, the way I see it is that uh, sometimes we look at the... I look at the potassium channel literature and I see why if there are some structures that are conserved within the calcium channel and try to hypothesize if the same kind of argument, same research has applied. But, uh, I mean, if I'm, let me see if I'm correct, but there are more potassium channels, right? Yeah. There are more. Uh, I think we know more about them because they're older in uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I mean, so we've been studying them longer? Well, I think <laughs> we, we, have, we can see them in multiple um, species, and then we can do all these genetic things and understand more their function. And there are fewer uh, spice variants. In, um, uh, they are smaller in certain animals. I think there's a lot to be known in, uh, in Drosophila, right? Yeah. And it's relatively old. Um, or is older than what we can do in mice, right, or anywhere else. Uh, but so, so therefore, I mean, sure, you can. It seems that at the beginning of this conversation, you're saying that well, there are fewer calcium calcium um, genes. Sure, they can have a splice uh, uh, variants, but that's true for every for every channel, channel, and that seems to for be every gene. Actually. Uh, every gene in. Um, in eukary- eukaryotes, right, mm-hmm. and uh, and probably that's why we have like smaller DNAs and stuff like that compared to plants and stuff like that. Uh, so why is that? There's this idea that a single splice variance reflects in a behavioral phenotype, in, and it's particular in calcium channels that. In still, still, you will assume that there are fewer than potassium, and therefore they will be involving a lot more functions, yeah. right? As calcium is, yeah. right? Calcium is involved in practically all metabolic reactions, right? So, but then why you assign it to anxiety, right? A yeah. specific splice variant instead of a family of these channels? Uh, well, the reason why of that in this particular case is because the only isoform that I modified is the calcium channel isoform. <laughs> if I think if I I don't know, is am I answering your question? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the, only, yeah. the other one I remember is the stargazing, right? It's yeah, another calcium channel in the spinal yeah. cord. And these mice, <laughs> the, the stargaze, yeah. right? They, they yeah. look uh, up, yeah. and it's related to P, to synaptic uh, activity and yeah. stuff like that. But but that doesn't seem to be a good phenotype, <laughs> like a catastrophic <laughs> event for the mouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah, that's actually a gamma a gamma subunit right. of the channel. Yeah, that, yeah. So 
I guess that I'm not trying to say that uh, there is uh, that uh, that the what I'm the indefinite I'm looking at. Uh, I'm not trying to say that this isoform is causing anxiety. I'm saying that there is a link there, and that could be interesting study in order to. I think one of the things that is coming to my mind to develop drugs that could specifically knock down this isoform, and then probably mm-hmm. the effect that I would see. I mean, we all hope is that it's less inside. So I guess that, for that for that to work for for ion channel variants to map onto behavior would mean that they get expressed in a very small number of neurons. Yes, right. Yeah. And so I guess the way that it could work is if the neurons that cause you to turn right mm-hmm. uh, only have a are the only neurons that express a certain ion channel, then if you knock down that ion channel, you don't turn right anymore. And so that would mean that we would see really precise localization Mm -hmm. of those. Of course, we don't have a way of looking at Mm -hmm. these in the brain right now, so we can't just do an immunocytochemistry or something and ask, where is this channel isoform being expressed, or this rise bearing being expressed. But it could be very, very specific. And so in that case, that channel gets messed up, you get some very specific behavioral effect. So how about the, the, you've you've spent some time studying these uh, nociceptors and ion channel variants that change nociception. So are those ion channels specific to nociceptors? We Okay, we, the initial finding was that this isoform is enriched in this subset of dorsal ganglia neurons. Uh, however, as our research progresses and our ability to to um, to amplify or to de- ability to de- to detect different isoforms in different areas, we've been realizing that it, it, it's it might be also in some other brain areas. So, at least the initial finding was very clear. It's expressed at high levels in the RG related to both areas, but it's also we haven't been able to exclude the possibility that there is uh, that, that, that is just exclusive there. We are considering that it is also expressed in other areas of the brain. It's just that we don't exactly get it. Don't the, I mean, like in the Allen Brain Atlas, uh, I guess the, uh, because um, the, the, can they differentiate uh, uh, the different splenic uh, variants in the, in the Allen Brain Atlas? Uh, no, no, yeah. the no, it's the same. It's, against it's probably it probably marks all of them. It yeah. doesn't distinguish it, it, between yeah. the different yeah. isoforms. So we look at them already. We're going to see that everywhere. Right? Yeah, everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it would be cool if they could have an yeah. antibody oh. for the um, yes. for the, and then refine it, yeah. right? So tell us. Why it's so hard to just have an antibody for these? Uh, because the two isoforms that I'm looking at, they are very similar in the primary sequence. Uh, the, you are talking about uh, sequences of around 32 amino acids in both exons, and uh, only 13 of those 32 are different. And they wouldn't be all clustered together, they'll be yeah, spread right, out all over the place. place. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the I mean, it's, it's just been challenging. Even doing in situ RTPC, in situ hybridization in situ, or, or a more or a technique that at least detects the mRNA has been has been challenging because they are very similar 
within each other. That's why we created these mice and we said, well, at least we could do look at uh, the CVA, the whole protein, and say this is just the isochromes and see this is the only one that is expressing this mouse. But it's still, it's hard for CD2.2 for some reason. Yeah. That's, there, that's part of the fun. Is there something on the horizon, some other method that we can hope would make this easy soon? <laughs> um, Probably the single molecule mRNA detection could be a, a good one. We haven't really explored it to more detail, but Diane and, and I have been talking about this, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, with uh, pharmacology, can you do like combinatorial? Um, there's, I remember this paper, like combinatorial, a, a, a combinatorial um, of calcium fluorescent imaging. Ooh. Right, so if you have uh, um, the drugs that will block your all the different channels, mm -hmm. right? Then you just image the terminal, for example, mm -hmm. and then you just stimulate the terminal, and then just do a series of experiments to then see where they stand. And now, with some super resolution, you can just like fo focus yeah. at a, a specific place and then determine where they are, and then some people are doing this. But you don't have any pharmacological... I, okay, so it gets more complicated. Yeah. Okay, so change channels. Work on sodium. I know, right? These are all, for example, blocked by conotoxin. Yeah, they are conotoxin. equally blocked by, by conotoxin. Uh -huh. So no. I'm, I'm sort of interested. I, can I change the subject just a little bit? Yeah. One of the things that people say, and you've said it, just now that you know this is a presynaptic this is presynaptic I know they that it is true because you can see changes in mm -hmm. synaptic release when you block these channels but what I see all the time when I'm I study after hyperpolarization mm -hmm. generation and neurons and it's often dependent on CAV 2.2 it's like mm -hmm. a, one of the one of the things you can depend on is that if a cell has a calcium dependent potassium Channel mm -hmm. that there's going to be some contribution from intent, especially for the medium sized AHP. Mm -hmm. So, are those going to are those related to each other? If I see uh, a lot of somatic calcium entry caused by intact mm -hmm. calcium channels, does that mean that's the same channel that's on the terminal in that cell, or is it going to be? Is it likely to be a different? That's probably this, the one million dollar question. <laughs> I think that we are trying to understand that. Uh, I don't know for sure. I, so presumably, there are I cells though that have this channel yeah. on their terminals, mm -hmm. but don't don't express it on their cell body at yeah. all. Yeah. There must be. Yeah, like although there is someone. I Sorry, not remember her name, but she studies the trafficking from the cell body to the to the from sorry from the ER to the to the terminal, and she was saying that eighty percent of the channels normally go through some kind of quality control in the cell body, and they are moved all the way to the terminal. Yeah, so they get put into the yeah, plasma membrane. So she was saying and tested. Like a like a like a light string to every ball and something along the lines there. <laughs> she was she was she was saying that that and and that happens in eighty percent of the cases that the channel then. So some of the stuff the somatic current we're seeing is really just it testing the, the yeah. channel. <laughs> That's what they, that, I mean. I don't know. Uh -huh. I mean, that would I, I be get, something. I get, I, I, yeah, I get, you know the best model of a terminal is the uh -huh. actual terminal. <laughs> what about contamination mm -hmm. from the from um, the terminal? 
currents into the recording. I mean, that probably, I don't know about your cells, because, I mean, those are big, the ones that you study, but like in stellate cells in the cerebellum, they have been cataloged quite um, 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 uh, well that when you depolarize the cell, you will see these currents that will, you can, you can record back, right? So there could be some, con- I mean, I will call it contamination, I mean, whatever. And they're, they're well, often the stuff we see at the soma, it doesn't originate in the soma. Yeah. I normally don't think of it as being quite that far. Right, and then you can have these currents that can, uh, uh, even when you're in current climate, currents in the button, in the person at the button can affect the activity, oh, like in a, let's call it antidromic, but it's in a, in a passive way. So if you could isolate that contribution, you mm-hmm. solve the problem. Know, right? So it could be that, that the super cool, uh, uh, yeah, the testing <laughs> hypothesis, or, or or it could be just, you know, uh, uh, space clamp issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in some cases, in so, uh, change subjects again. I'm just like crazy today, changing subjects. But then, <laughs> um, there are cases of channelopathies, getting back to sort of channels and behavior, and there's this sort of channelopathy idea, maybe from the heart, that Mm -hmm. generalizes the nervous system and makes us expect to find channelopathies responsible for things like neurodegenerative diseases and that kind of thing. So what are... Are, are there really well-established examples of that, of nervous system channelopathies that that we could use as a model for, uh, for you know, channels having specific functions in the nervous system, behavioral functions? Yeah, maybe not. Uh, uh, I, I tried to, to look that up, yeah. and I, on, like, Wikipedia or something, when you look up channelopathies, they list Timothy syndrome as a, a voltage-gated calcium. I don't know what it is. Yeah, that, that, that is, is that? Do you know those about are it? mutations that fall in an exon that is alternately spliced. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's 8 versus 8A. And, uh, but that happens in a different kind of channel. This is CAD 1.2 or uh-huh. L-type, which was, or, which was originally found in the heart. And is the one is that is the channel that in the heart is responsible for the calcium entry during the coupling of uh, excitation contraction um, in the brain. Um, and what happens in people with Timothy syndrome is that these mutations that are in this alternative splice exon, when this exon, exon goes to us in, then it causes the mutations expressed. And then the, the people develop the Timothy syndrome. So that could be an example of a channel of the association. What is, what is uh, Timothy syndrome? It's, it's, it's a form of autism. That's all I know. So it's a very severe thing. But what about the production of melatonin, right? I mean, there are all these. Ch- I don't know. I mean, that's the only example that I know that. Well, it's not the only example. But it's probably the first example of like going from mo- a molecule that, that affects behavior, right? I mean, production of melatonin affects um, our circadian rhythms, right? Mm-hmm. Like completely, right? Uh, uh, and that takes place, starts in the retina, right? Um, so, but I don't know if that... There, but that's not really an ion channel. No, but, I, but so there has to be some kind of phototransduction of something. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if somebody knows. Yeah. Well, in the this is actually interesting because for my channel, <laughs> for the CACNA1B gene or CAB2.2 channel, there has not been pathologies implicated in the channel. 
and especially given how important it is to control transmitter release in different areas of the brain and different areas of the nervous system in general, it's just they have been described. And we are working with this idea that probably it's so important <laughs> that is even that when it is knocked down, when it is knocked down, like in the CV2.2 knockouts, there is always a large channel su- uh, supplementing the function. Or we just tend to work with those crazy ideas. So probably the mutations, if there are some mutations, they, are, they may be lethal. I've been looking in some databases, and actually they've been reported some large deletions of, in some people, but I haven't looked more into that. But it's, it's not definitely something that we're going to explore at some point. So is it, for synaptic transmitter release, is it absolutely required that it has to be that? CD2.2? <laughs> yeah, or could some other... Because it's the calcium that matters, but of course yeah. it's got to be put in the right. The channel has to be in the right yeah. place and all that stuff. So, is it always at every synapse that's the channel that's responsible for transmitter release, or are there others? No, no, we definitely don't think so. Otherwise, the CV two knockouts would be lethal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we think that uh, well, there is a, the pressing the uh, uh, there is another pressing channel that you. I were talking about at the beginning, it's the PQ or CV2.1 that also helps the CV2.2 to, um, to initiate the transmitter release. Um, however, people have been working up with this idea, it looks like CV2.2 is more subject to modulation than CV2.1. Apparently CV2.2 is like the channel that is going to be reliable at all times to allow the calcium entry. But CV2.2 is going to be the one who's going to uh, support, gonna, uh, uh, is going to contribute with this fine, fine regulation of the transmitter release. That's kind of an idea. <laughs> so what, what are the... Is it, I read your abstract, your grand mm-hmm. abstract, and in it there is a discussion about um, targeting the CAV channel isoforms for anxiolytic drugs. What's so? What's the kind of mind? What's the therapeutic strategy that that you're thinking may end up coming from all of this? Yeah, Is so it just we, to reduce the number of isoforms. I don't know how. What do you think? Yeah, so the these two isoforms have different response to G protein couple receptors, and some of these G protein couple receptors, some work. Some anxiolytic drugs work through G protein couple receptors. So. What I think is that uh, some serotoninergic agonist uh, might be somehow inhibiting more one isoform than the other. So it would be that way. <laughs> That's how I'm thinking it right now. Changing the feature, anyways. <laughs> Should we delete that so yeah, you can get your patent? That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for, for talking to us. This has been a lot of fun. Thank um, you. This is Neuroscientist Talk Shop with Arturo Andrade. Thank you.